Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. We just finished our series through the book of Philippians. We'll start a new series next week. Take a break now. Look at Revelation chapter 21. I'd like you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's perfect word. From Revelation chapter 21. Beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold! I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, right now we need you more than anyone. We need your word more than anything. We pray right now that you would speak to us through your word. That you would focus our hearts and our minds to hear what you would have for us on this morning. Bless us and help us in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If I was going to take a survey, I bet that most of you, if not all of you, at some point in your life have had a crummy job. Just a crummy, bad, maybe dead-end job. You might actually have that job right now, as a matter of fact. Maybe a couple of those jobs you might be working right now. And don't worry, young people, at some point in your life, you too will probably also work a crummy job. And in my life, I've had a few of these jobs, but there was one that was just the worst job I have ever had. To this day, seriously, whenever I think about this job, it just comes back to memory, I will offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God, thanking Him that I no longer work at that place. I mean, I'll say it kindly, I'll say it in a nice way, the the boss struggled. Struggled, the the work environment was just a, a toxic work environment, coworkers just couldn't get along, it was... A highly stressful, fast-paced job. There was a lot of turnover. 
And the longer I worked there, the more anxious I got. I just dreaded going into work every day. And so I remember praying, asking God, just saying, God, if I need to stick this job out, I'll do it. But if there's any way at all that I could have a new job, that would be amazing. So I prayed and put in some job applications and eventually I did hear back, got an interview and a job offer is going to be a better job, with better pay, better hours. And that next week, you have no idea how happy I was going into work with that two-week notice in my hand. I mean, I still had to go to the same work for two more weeks. So I'd work with the same coworkers, same boss, same situation. And yet everything had changed in my mind. I had a totally new attitude, a new uh, perspective. I had hope and joy because I had the promise that a new, better job was waiting for me in just a few weeks. And when we read the book of Revelation, that's what's supposed to happen to us. When we read the book of Revelation, it is supposed to encourage us and fill us with the hope we need to faithfully follow Jesus right now, no matter what. No matter what's going on in this crazy, sinful, fallen world, whether it be politics or pandemics, whatever it is, the book of Revelation reminds us that Jesus wins, Satan loses, the best is yet to come, so do not give up now. Keep following Jesus faithfully, no matter what. And in this amazing text, Revelation 21, in this text, God gives us a glimpse of our forever home. This preview is what it, of what is to come is meant to fill us with the hope we need to keep following Jesus right now in our present everyday lives. God gives us this hope first by giving us perspective. Look with me at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible begins in Genesis 1-1 with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now we come to the end of the Bible, to the end of the story. We hear the words in Revelation 21-1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The reason John sees a new heaven and a new earth is because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. God created the first heaven and the first earth good. He looked at everything he had made and said, good. He looked at the man and woman whom he had created and said, very good. But then Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. And God punished them. He cursed them and cursed all of creation with them. And so now when God looks at creation, he says, bad. And when he looks at man and woman, he says, very bad. So let's not be surprised then when there are bad things. Because we're still living in the first earth, under the first heaven. Bad pandemics, bad politicians, bad people, bad problems shouldn't surprise us. Bad things shouldn't surprise us. Good things should surprise us. We should be incredibly grateful to God. That there is any good left in this world at all. Because it's only by His grace. It will be this way until God removes the curse and restores all of creation. And that's the good news. 
This earth has an expiration date. This is not our forever home. One day it will pass away. And we need this perspective if we're going to have hope right now. John sees a new place and a new home. Look at me in verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. One of the ways that the final struggle between good and evil is symbolized in the book of Revelation is with a tale of two cities and two women. The one city and one woman is Babylon, called the prostitute. She is ultimately cast out and judged. But then the other is Jerusalem, who's called the bride. She is brought in. She is brought in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. She's the one who will be married and brought in in the end. And now that the marriage supper in Revelation 19 is finished, God, the Father, brings the bride down the aisle, the church, and presents her to his son so that they will be together forever. Like a good husband, Jesus provides a good home for his wife. Jesus promises in John 14, 1 to 3, that he is preparing a place for us right now where we will live with him for eternity. Jesus prepares the place and he prepares the people. As Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 tells us, Jesus is preparing his bride, washing her with the word so that she may be presented before him as holy and without blemish. You know what that means, right? It means that right now, through his spirit, Jesus is preparing us through the preaching of the word for eternity. As you sit under the preaching of the word on Sunday morning, as you apply the word with your Bible fellowship group on Sunday afternoon, as you open the word up and read it day by day with your family or by yourself, as you meet with other brothers and sisters to read the word together throughout the week, Jesus is preparing you for eternity. He is preparing you for your forever home in the new heaven and new earth. Jesus prepares us for heaven through his word and gives us the perspective we need to keep faithfully following him in this sinful, fallen world. Jesus is at work preparing the people and the place because the day is fast approaching when we will be together with him forever in the new heavens and new earth. That's what John hears loudly declared from the king seated on the throne in verse 3. John begins in the first two verses by describing what he sees. But in all the rest of the verses, he's going to describe what he hears. And what he hears in verse 3 is this. Behold. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Three times in this one verse, God says that he will dwell with us. He will live with us. You see, our hope is not just merely that one day we will die and go to be with God. Our hope is that in Christ, one day we will be resurrected from the grave and God will come down and be with us. That is the hope we need right now. 
God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to create a new city. He's going to move into the new neighborhood with us. And that is what makes heaven so heavenly. In the next verse, verse 4, we see the end of suffering, the end of sorrow. In heaven, there will be no suffering. But what makes heaven heavenly is not merely the absence of suffering. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the presence of God who is our Emmanuel. The first and greatest blessing of heaven is that we will live with God. He will be physically present with us forever. Jesus is the one who will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And as verse 4 continues, Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Just like the former place will pass away, so the former ways will pass away. In the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more tears. There will be no more angry tears, no more sad tears. In the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more death. That means no more hospice, no more dying, no more body bags, no more caskets, no more funerals, no more graves, no more cemeteries. In the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more mourning or crying. That means no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more grieving, no more worry, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more weeping, no more nights crying yourself to sleep. In the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, no more COVID, no more chemo, no more cancer, no more trouble, no more stress, no more broken hearts. In the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more bad news. Because these are the former things, the old ways, the old normal, and they will pass away. When I read this verse, I can't help but think of the words of Thomas More. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. We really need this hope that we get from this perspective. Because right now there's a whole lot of talk about a new normal. Listen, if you compare this so-called new normal with the real new normal that we see right here in Revelation 21... There is nothing new about this new normal. Listen, I know we have to wear masks and we can't fill our football stadiums to full capacity. But there's still death. There's still tears. There's still sorrow. There's still suffering. That's because this is not a new normal. This is just the old normal in the same sinful, fallen world that we've been living in since Adam. And listen, if your hope is in some kind of vaccine or some kind of politician who's going to get elected and fix everything and put it back to normal, I have news for you. Even after we get a vaccine, even after the next president is elected, we will still have crying and pain and suffering and death until Jesus comes back and restores this heaven and earth. And then we will have a new normal in the new normal. God will dwell with us. In the new normal, there will be no more suffering or sorrow 
or pain or death. Right now, Jesus is preparing our forever home for us. And he is preparing us for our forever home through his spirit, through the word. This is the perspective that we need to give us hope to keep following Jesus in the midst of this old normal, in this old, sinful, fallen world. But that's not the only way that God gives us hope in this text. God gives us hope by giving us his perspective and by giving us his promises. All these verses we're looking at are full of God's promises. God has already promised us a new heaven, a new earth. He's promised to dwell with us, to end suffering forever. The promises continue in verse 5. Who could be there? And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new you. As the king of kings, Jesus has the authority, the ability, and the character to make this happen. That's why he says, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. We make promises all the time that we can't keep or we just don't keep. How many times have you told somebody that you'll pray for them just because it's the nice sort of Christian-y thing to say? And then you never actually take that prayer request before God. We fail to be faithful to our word all the time. But not Jesus. Jesus is always faithful and true. The word translated here for trustworthy is translated in other places in Revelation as the word faithful. In other places in Revelation, like Revelation 3.14, 19.11, Jesus himself is called the faithful and true one. Jesus is the, he's always faithful and true to his word. Every word of the Bible is trustworthy and true because it's the word of Jesus. Jesus always keeps his word. His promises never fail. Just like the promises that we see in verses 6, 7, and 8. Look with me there. Verse 6. And he said to me, It is done. Can't help but hear the echo, right? Of on the cross when Jesus finished the work of redemption, he cried out, It is finished. And one day when Jesus finishes the work of of restoration, he will cry out, it is done. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Today, we would say Jesus is the A and Z. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and last. He is the origin, the source, the beginning of all things. And he is the purpose, the goal, the end for which all things exist. And that includes you and me. Jesus promises us in verse 6, To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. If we read on to the first verse in chapter 22, we will see that this spring of water of life, that it comes from the one who's seated on the throne. And that it flows into a river, the river of the water of life. So Jesus here is promising us that he will quench our thirsty souls. Jesus is the spring of the water of life. He is promising to eternally satisfy all of our deepest longings in him. 
no politician will be able to satisfy all of your deepest longings. No politician, no vaccine, no amount of money, no job, no spouse, no amount of sex, no entertainment, no idol will ever be able to satisfy all of your deepest longings. Only Jesus can do that. And all of this, he is offering us free of charge. Because a lot of people line up on Black Friday to buy a bunch of material stuff that will never fully satisfy them. And Jesus, every single day, offers every single person eternal satisfaction in him free of charge. It's a free offer but it is a limited time offer. Time is running out. At any moment, you could die or Jesus could return. So accept the gift now by faith in Jesus. Don't wait. God calls this free gift a heritage or an inheritance in verse 7. See what he says there in verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. It could also be translated, the conqueror will inherit this. The one who conquers is the one who overcomes. The one who overcomes sin. The one who overcomes the trials and temptations of this sinful, fallen world. The one who fights the good fight. Who finishes the race. Who keeps the faith. The conqueror is the one who faithfully follows Jesus until their final breath. You're a conqueror when you take the first step to reconcile a broken relationship because you know that Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to God and to one another. You're being a conqueror when you sacrifice your need for comfort and share the gospel with your lost coworker because you know that Jesus sacrificed his comfort to die on the cross to save us from our sins. You're being a conqueror when you confess your sin. And ask for accountability from your Bible fellowship group because you know that your sins have been forgiven and you are accepted by faith in Christ. When you do the hard thing instead of the easy thing, when you do the right thing instead of the easy thing because of who Jesus is and what he has done, then you are being a conqueror. If we conquer, if we persevere, if we remain faithful to the end, we will inherit eternal satisfaction in Jesus, with Jesus, in the literal heaven on earth forever. And verse 7 says, I will be his God and he will be my son. Now, as modern Western individualists, we tend to miss the significance of this promise right here. The first Christians who would have read the book of Revelation, they lived in a culture that prioritized the needs of the family over the individual. And in cultures like these, to this day, even in some situations, the firstborn son would usually receive most, if not all, the inheritance. Because it was assumed that as he as the firstborn would be in the best position. He should be the oldest. He should be the strongest. He should be the wisest. And that he would be able to provide for all of his relatives. Not just his immediate family. So for God to promise us 
that he will be our God and we will be his son means that we will inherit everything that belongs to the Father. By faith in Jesus, God adopts us. Sinners become sons, and the son of a king inherits the kingdom. That's why Jesus can say in Luke 12, 32, that it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, Jesus will still be king. He will still be seated on the throne, but we will rule and reign with him as vice regents. Not over a little half acre lot, but over the entire new heavens and new earth. All of this we will inherit. And this should fill us with hope for the present. Whether we're the haves or the have-nots. If we're the have-nots, this should give us the hope we need not to be bitter, not to be jealous, but to have the hope we need because we know that one day we will inherit the entire kingdom of God. And if we are the haves, it gives us the hope we need to stop building our little earthly kingdoms and start sacrificing our little earthly treasures because we know that they will pale in comparison to the inheritance that we will have one day, the treasure we will have in the new heaven and new earth. By faith in Jesus, we will inherit all of this. This will be ours for eternity. But God does not promise this inheritance to everyone, does he? Look at me at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion or their inheritance will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In just one verse, God's tone has completely changed. Now he promises judgment. Notice how the list begins. If you and I were to make a list of the worst people in the world who deserve to spend an eternity in hell, who would be at the top of that list? Murderers, terrorists, rapists, child predators. I'd say most of us probably wouldn't start our list with cowards. But it makes sense when you think about it. Because a coward is the exact opposite of a conqueror. There's no such thing as a cowardly conqueror. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's like the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz. It doesn't make any sense. A lion is courageous. A conqueror is courageous. A Christian is courageous. Because our faith is in the lion of the tribe of Judah who conquered all of our fears. Our faith is in him. But that's why the very next word is the faithless. A coward does not conquer. They quit. When things get hard, they give up. They don't overcome the trials and temptations. When the trials and temptations come, they cower. They are not faithful. They are faithless. You're being a coward when you don't share the gospel with your lost coworker. Because you're afraid of what they'll think of you. You're being a coward when 
you look at those explicit images, instead of killing that sin, you give in. You're being a coward when you know you need to have that hard conversation with your spouse or your child or that member of your BFG, and you just avoid it. That's being a coward. When you choose to do the easy thing instead of the right thing, you're being a coward. God despises faithless cowards. They're on the same list with the murderers, the sexually immoral, with the detestable, with idolaters. The portion or the inheritance of these faithless sinners is not in the new heaven and new earth. Rather, it is in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This imagery of a burning lake is one of horrific pain and suffering. Sinners die once and are judged, and then they spend eternity always dying and never dead. That's the second death. That's the new normal that awaits all those who don't put their faith in Jesus. Revelation 14, 11 says that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. That means hell will be their forever home. But what makes hell hellish is not merely the presence of suffering, it's the absence of God. That's what 2 Thessalonians 1-9 through says, that sinners will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. People without Jesus go to hell, where they will spend eternity without Jesus. What's interesting is that this promise of judgment is supposed to give us hope. Some people hate the idea of God's judgment, but God's judgment should give us hope because it means that no sin will go unpunished. It means that what you do to me and what I do to you matters to God. So in the end, nobody gets away with anything. Our longing for justice is a good longing. And we can have hope now that no matter what happens in the courts, no matter what happens on the streets, one day Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, will return and he will judge everyone perfectly and perfect justice will be served. But when we examine this list, it doesn't give us hope, does it? That's because we all find ourselves included on this list. And if you're so blind to your sin that you can't see yourself on this list, you're lying to yourself. And that makes you a liar. Everyone on earth is included on this list, which means no one can inherit the, the new heaven and new earth except by grace. Instead of giving us hope, God's promise of judgment fills us with anxiety. But God's word does give us hope. Here in Revelation 21. It does give us hope because God gives us more than just his perspective. He gives us more than just his promises. God gives us his person. The person of Jesus Christ. In the same way that he is the beginning and end of all things. Jesus is the beginning and end of this text. Just look at it with me as we go through it from the first verse. Jesus is the one who made the first heaven and the first earth. And Jesus is the one who will make the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus is the one 
who is preparing us for our forever home and preparing our forever home for us. Jesus is the one who died for his bride, the church, who is making her beautiful by washing her with his word. Jesus is the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, died on the cross and rose again, one day is coming back to dwell with us forever. Jesus was the man of sorrows who endured suffering on the cross so that by faith in him we will never suffer again. Jesus is the king on the throne who is making all things new. Jesus is the faithful and true word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the one who completed the work of redemption and he is the one who will complete the work of restoration. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the one for whom everything and everyone was made. Jesus is the spring of the water of life who freely gives himself to quench our soul's thirst. Jesus is the son of God who conquered sin and Satan and death forever so that cowardly, detestable sinners by faith in him may inherit the kingdom of God and may dwell with him in the new normal, in the new heaven and new earth forever. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, the apostle Paul wrote an almost identical list to the one that we see here. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds similar to Revelation 21, right? But then Paul says these amazing words. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yes, such were some of you. Such were some of us sitting in this room this morning. But not anymore. Not anymore because... By faith, Jesus accepts you as you are, but he does not leave you as you are. This is our hope. This is the good news worth driving 12 hours down to New Orleans to share. Our hope is that Jesus is making all things new, and that includes you and me. Jesus is the one who died on the cross to suffer the punishment for all of our cowardice for all of our faithlessness, for all of our detestable sins, and rose again to new life. Now, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Just like one day, Jesus will return and he will make a new heaven and a new earth and the first earth and the first heaven will pass away. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will make you new. He will make you a new creation. The old coward will pass away. And now by faith in him, we can be more than conquerors, Paul says, through him who loved us. First John 5 
4 through 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You will not overcome. You will not conquer. And you will not have hope apart from faith in Jesus Christ. If you're going to have hope, if you're going to have any hope at all in this sinful, fallen world, you need a whole lot more than a two-week notice and a new job. You need even more than just God's perspective. You need more than God's promises. You need God's person. You need faith in Jesus Christ. When you are full of faith in Jesus Christ, who conquered sin and Satan and death, then you will be full of hope. Jesus is the one who gives us hope for life in this old normal, in this sinful, fallen world. Until the day when he returns and makes all things new and lives with us forever in our forever home in the new heavens and new earth. And then we will really live happily ever after.